Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Take your Bibles this morning and turn to Matthew chapter 4. I'm going to be in Matthew chapter 4. We've all been there before. Like Adam or Eve, like a child told not to have a cookie so we don't spoil dinner. We find ourselves before a test. We know what the right thing to do is. We know what God has said. But we wonder if in this moment, at this time, if we might actually know better. We can't help but wonder if our own plan or the thing we want might be better than God's way. Perhaps we should take a bite from the forbidden tree. Maybe no one will know if we take that cookie, run up to our room, and begin quietly munching away. Perhaps getting angry and blowing up at our family members will really fix their annoying habit this time. Maybe if we slide a little money into our personal account from our work account, no one will notice. Every day, a hundred times a day, we face tests. And in Scripture, these tests are often called temptation. Temptation is unfortunately a normal part of human experience. It's frustrating because temptation sounds really easy to beat, right? I mean, just stop it. Stop lying. Stop drinking. Stop being angry. Stop watching trash. Stop arguing with your parents. Stop stealing. Stop wasting time on social media. Stop. Stop it. Just stop it. But, but we know better. We know it's not that easy because if it were that easy, we wouldn't have bestseller after bestseller trying to help us break bad habits and form good ones. If it were really that easy, we wouldn't have counselors and therapists and psychologists, all of whom try to convince us that they can really help us change. No, breaking temptation may sound easy, but it's not. So how do we beat temptation? How do we pass the test? And to answer that question, we're in Matthew chapter 4. And the story we're coming to is a familiar one, and it's a familiar one for a good reason. We're going to be reading the story of how Jesus overcame temptation. But as we do so this morning, I want us to, to dig in a little bit under the surface. And I want us to ask how it was that Jesus beat temptation and what we can learn from that. So if you're in Matthew chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in verse 1. And we're going to read all the way uh, verses 1 through 11. It says, Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights... He was afterward and hungered. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. And then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on the pinnacle of the temple, and said unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, he shall give his angels charge concerning thee, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. And Jesus said unto him, It is written, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world, and all the glory of them. And saith unto him, All these will I give thee, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. For it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only thou shalt serve. Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, the angels came and ministered unto him. Let's open in a word of prayer. 
Father, as we come to your word and as we study what it has to say about temptation, uh, we ask that you would give us wisdom and understanding and discernment. We thank you so much for the example of Jesus that he gives us here as to how we can beat temptation, as to how we can pass the test that you give us. Lord, we pray that if there's somebody here who's battling with temptation or with temptations, that you would help them in 2020 to get victory. Father, I know that all of us, to some degree, uh, need this message, and I pray that your spirit uh, would do a work in our hearts and that we would walk away from your word changed, uh, that we would walk away with a better understanding and a greater appreciation to listening to you, to hearing what your word has to say, and to doing it. We love you, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So we get started with the message. I want to take kind of a bit of an unorthodox path. We're going to start off by making a few important observations about this passage. And as we come to the end of those observations, we're going to draw a principle. And then we're going to take that principle and we're going to work through the passage kind of verse by verse. And so we're going to start off with some observations and then we're going to draw a principle and then uh, we're going to, that'll kind of be our introduction, and then we'll really uh, work our way through the passage. So just kind of a heads up, our introduction might be a little bit longer than normal, but um, we're going to get uh, to this passage, but I think it's helpful to really set the, the background and understand uh, what's going on as we get started. So I want to start off uh, by noticing a few important observations. Richard Kipling uh, wrote a poem, and at the beginning of his poem, he started off by saying, I keep six honest serving men. They taught me all I knew. Their names are what and why and when and how and where and who. Uh, his point there is that sometimes when, when really any time we want to learn something, there's really six questions we can ask of that. And that is when, I'm sorry, what and why and when and how, where and who. And so as we get started studying this passage, I want to start off by asking five of those six questions of this passage to help us kind of get our bearings and understand what's going on and to get a little bit of the background. Let's start off by asking when. When was Jesus tempted? Um, If you go to verse uh, number one, we're going to read the very first word here is then. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Okay, so when is then? Well, then is right after his baptism. Right after Jesus has been baptized and received the Holy Spirit, the very next thing that happens is he's led into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Why does this matter? Well, we have to understand that the baptism of Christ and the receiving of the Holy Spirit was a tremendously important part of his ministry. In fact, it's what kicks off his ministry. If you go through and read the Gospels, all four of them are going to start off by talking about this character, John the Baptist, who prepares the way for Christ. And all of them are going to place, uh, at least Matthew, Mark, and Luke are going to place the baptism of Jesus as coming before the public ministry of Jesus. In fact, the baptism of Jesus and the declaration that Jesus is the Son of God, we read that in verse 17, and lo, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, and lo, a voice from heaven saying, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. This is what kind of kicks off the ministry of Jesus. This public declaration of who Jesus is and this receiving of the Spirit. Uh, uh, Charles Ryrie in his commentary makes this note, or in his study Bible makes this note. He says that the coming of the Holy Spirit upon Jesus, he says, this is the first clear expression of the concept of the Trinity 
the descent of the Spirit upon Christ was for special power at the beginning of his public ministry. So this is really when Jesus' ministry gets kicked off. We might say this is a spiritual high point for Jesus. Folks, be careful because temptation often comes at spiritual high points. Sometimes we get into spiritual high points and things are going well and we're seeing success and victory in our life and we're seeing God work. We see him move and we think that this somehow means that we are immune to, to, to the power of temptation. And yet it's often at those moments when we're most tempted to trust our own strength, our own resources. We're most tempted to kind of put things into cruise control and think that we're good. We finally figured out this Christianity thing. We're smooth sailing here on out. But Jesus, at the very beginning of his ministry, at one of the high points, right after he'd received the power of the Holy Spirit for his ministry, he's driven out into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. Who tempted Jesus? Well, this is kind of interesting because we read in verse 4 that the Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so that he could be tempted by the devil. The Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness so that he could be tempted tempted by the devil. Although the Spirit led him there for the purpose of being tested, it was Satan himself who did the tempting. In Scripture, we have, uh, in the Greek as well as in the Hebrew, we have this word uh, that means either test or tempt or trial. In fact, when you're reading Scripture and you read about temptations, you read about trials, or you read about tests, uh, in the original language, you're all often reading the same word that's been translated differently into English because in English, we're making a distinction that I think Scripture itself makes that at times, when we face tests, God has brought us to those tests. In fact, we're going to see later that God brings Israel to tests. Uh, We're going to see here that the Holy Spirit brought Jesus to a test. We read in, in Genesis that God tested Abraham. But you see, there's a big difference between the tests of God and the temptations of Satan. See, God tests us because he wants to prove our character. The Holy Spirit didn't lead Jesus into the desert hoping he would fail. The Holy Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted so that the character of Jesus could be proved. Satan, however, tempts us. And a temptation is a test that you hope someone fails. Right? Satan tempted Christ not to try and prove his character, but because he wanted to see Jesus fail. Does God tempt us? No, James says God doesn't tempt us, but God does test us. He does allow situations. He does even at times allow Satan himself to bring temptations our way to see what we're made of. But as we're reminded by the, by the book of James, God, does not tempt, God is not tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. And so who tempted Jesus? Well, the Spirit led him there, but Satan tempted him. And as we realize, as we ask the next question, what was Jesus tempted with? It's interesting, I'm just going to kind of summarize this and we'll kind of see this as we go, but Jesus was tempted in every time to trust his own wisdom to get what he wanted or needed. And what's interesting about this is that in every instance, it's something that God actually intended to give Jesus. Okay, so let's look at the first one there, verse 3. And when the tempter came to him, he said, if thou be the son of God, command that these stones be made to bread. Question. Was the father capable of providing bread for the son? Yes. In fact, he does so at the very end of this account. Verse 11, Then the devil leaveth him, and behold, angels came and ministered unto him. God can provide food. 
But the temptation is to use the power of the Spirit that Jesus has recently acquired and to use that for his own benefit, for his own uh, uh, abilities, that, that he would use his own power as God to provide for himself rather than trusting the Father and trusting the leading of the Spirit which had led him in the desert and instructed him there to fast. What about the next one? The next one is protection, really. He... Satan says, why don't you throw yourself off and prove that you're the Son of God, right? You've just, been in, you've just been declared to be the Son of God. Well, if you're really the Son of God, why don't you prove it by showing that God's going to protect you? Now, folks, all throughout the ministry of Christ, Christ enjoys the protection of the Father. In fact, there are certain occasions in which the crowds want to kill him. They go to throw him off, and he just he passes right through them. God is going to prove over and over again that Jesus really is the Son, but but Satan says, why don't you do it right now? Prove it. And then finally, there's, there's glory. Satan offers Jesus all the kingdoms of the world, and the Father intends to give all the kingdoms of the world to Jesus in his time and in his way. And I think it's interesting, when you look at these temptations, these are not inherently bad things that Satan is offering to Jesus. He's offering him good things, in fact, in many instances, things that the Father intends to give and to do, but he's encouraging Jesus to do it his own way, to kind of go around God, to go around the will of the Father. Often when we are tempted, we're not always necessarily tempted with evil, bad, wicked things. Oftentimes we're tempted with things that are perhaps in and of themselves even good things. But we're tempted to go about them our own way rather than trusting the Father, rather than listening to what God has to say, rather than obeying Next question, where? Where was Jesus tempted? We see here that Jesus was tempted in the desert. Um, says in verse number, uh, four, uh, verse one, says, then was Jesus led up of the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he'd fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Now that should kind of turn on uh, an alarm bell in your mind. That, that should sound familiar. Jesus was in the desert for 40 days. Where have we heard desert and 40 before? Well, it's interesting. In the desert, much like ancient Israel. Israel was tested and tempted over and over again in the desert. For 40 years, Jesus, in a sense, is almost like a one-man play acting this out. He is in the desert for 40 days and he's tested and tempted there. Israel is called the Son of God in Scripture. Jesus is also called the Son of God in Scripture. Israel, uh, for 40 years, was tested, and for 40 years they failed the test. Jesus was tested for 40 days, and at the end of 40 days, he passed the test. And this is important when we ask this next question, because the next question we want to ask is, how did Jesus overcome the temptation? And it's often been pointed out to me, well, he did it by appealing to Scripture. Every time Jesus says, it is written, verse number four, Jesus answered, it is written. Verse number seven, Jesus said unto him again, it is written. Verse number 10, then saith Jesus unto him, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. Every time Jesus goes back to Scripture. But here's what's interesting. Every one of these citations comes from the book of Deuteronomy. Now, when I first realized this, I think that was kind of a piece of trivia I came across when I was in high school or perhaps some of my early college days. I thought to myself, wow, 
Jesus knows his Old Testament so well that he's able to go to the obscure, forgotten, unknown book of Deuteronomy and boom, just pull verses out of it. Because that was kind of my impression. I didn't really know the book of Deuteronomy. To me, it was obscure. It was a book that was kind of uh, one of those books that I think I might have known. Deuteronomy meant second law. And that sounded boring to me. The law was boring enough and now we've got a second giving of the law. And yet, as I've come to study Scripture more and more, I've realized something. The book of Deuteronomy was actually really, really important for Israel. You see, the book of Deuteronomy comes at the end of Israel's time in the wilderness, and it's looking back on it, and it's drawing lessons from it, and it's encouraging and exhorting the next generation to learn from those mistakes and to go forward into the future and to not make those same mistakes again. And so Jesus is quoting from this book that's actually written to Israel as they're coming out of the wilderness. And so how did Jesus overcome the temptation? By listening to God's words to ancient Israel. Moses is going to exhort the people to hear what he's about to say, to listen to him, so that they may be careful to do it, so that they may observe to do it. Now if we were to read the rest of the history of Israel the Son of God, we would find that Israel failed over and over and over and over again. Moses said, listen to what I'm about to say. And Israel as a nation, by and large, did not. And so they were taken away into exile. Jesus comes as the Son of God and he listens to that message to ancient Israel that ancient Israel ignored. And because he listens to the message, he's able to overcome temptation. So I told you this was all leading up to one big principle. Here's the principle It's a little bit long, but we'll come back to it several times and we'll work through it. The principle is this. Follow the example of Jesus by listening to God's word to pass the tests of life. Okay? Follow the example of Jesus by listening to God's words so that you can pass the tests of life. That's what we learn from this passage. Israel failed. Jesus did not. So here's what I want us to do as we work through these temptations one at a time. I want us to see what Jesus is referring to in Deuteronomy. What Moses is referring to in Deuteronomy. What's gone on in the, in the history of Israel that's so important. So you're going to want to keep your finger in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 8 and chapter 6 because we're going to be going back in there. Um, and then also keep a finger in Matthew chapter 4. We'll probably be flipping back and forth quite a few times. But I want us to go back and forth and to see where Jesus is quoting what's going on there and how that can help us understand a little bit better what Jesus and what the Holy Spirit and what Matthew are calling us to uh, in this passage. So let's start off with the first one. First of all, we see that Jesus listened to God's word when his physical desires cried out. Jesus listened to God's word when his physical desires cried out. Uh, We see this in verse number three. It says, and when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. When did God say that? Well, go back to Deuteronomy chapter 8. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. 
Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1 says this. It says, All the commandments which I command thee this day shall ye observe to do, or you could even translate that, you shall be careful to do, that ye may live and multiply and go in and possess the land which the Lord sware unto your fathers. And thou shalt remember all the way which the Lord thy God led thee these 40 years in the wilderness to humble thee and to prove thee. That word prove means to test, to test thee. To know what was in thine heart, whether thou wouldest keep his commandments or no. And he humbled thee, and suffered thee to hunger, and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make thee know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. What was the lesson that God wanted Israel to learn? He wanted Israel to learn that even when their physical desires were crying out, desperate to be satisfied. Whatever God said took precedent. And that's exactly the lesson that Jesus learned and listened to and said, no, 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 no. My physical desires need to take second place to God's word. One of the toughest times to listen to God is when physically we crave something else. And food is probably one of the most um, intense and obvious examples of this. If we were to go back to Exodus chapter 16, which we're not going to take the time to do, Israel finds themselves not having food. Now, folks, if you're hungry, and I mean really hungry, that, that's a problem. Um, we, we joke here in America about being hangry. Perhaps you've heard the term before. Hangry means that you're hungry, angry. Have you ever been hangry before? Ever known someone to be hangry? You, you want food, you don't have food, and so what happens? You get frustrated, you get irritable, start, you know, kind of cutting people off, and being frustrated. Can you imagine being hangry? N not because, you know, you haven't eaten since 10 o'clock in the morning and it's now 5 o'clock in the evening, but because you didn't eat anything yesterday. Because you barely have anything to eat today. Because you have children that you have to feed and you don't know where the food is coming from. You know, we, we might take a step back from Israel. We might say, man, I can't believe Israel complained all the time about food and water. Obviously, God was going to provide for them. And they shouldn't have complained, but let's cut them a little bit slack when, of slack when we realize they were really, truly, genuinely hungry and they were terrified that they were going to die in the desert. And yet God says this was, this was a test to see if even when you were hungry, even if when your physical desires were crying out, if you were still, still going to listen to me or if you were going to doubt me, if you were going to attack me. It's often toughest to listen to God when physically we crave something else. It could be food, but it doesn't just have to be food. It could be immorality. Um, you look at the world in which we live in, perversity abounds. Um, merit, you know, a, a, a marriage covenant is almost laughed upon. And, and, and perversity is not just uh, permitted, it's often embraced, it's often celebrated. Living as a Christian in 21st century America and living a life of purity is not easy, but I've got news for you. It wasn't easy living that way in Corinth either. It wasn't living, easy living that way in Canaan, surrounded by the, the pagans that, that Israel should have pushed out but didn't, and so instead were influenced by their uh, debauched practices. Perhaps it's, it's alcohol and drugs. We look, and, and, and more and more we're seeing that, that narcotics are becoming um, ubiquitous. More and more states are, are legalizing marijuana, and as as we see this, we don't see other drugs kind of fading away in the background. Actually, we see that all across the board, it seems that, that, that the use of, of drugs is up. 
But it doesn't have to be something like uh, sexual immorality or, or even alcohol and drugs. We could even draw back and say, well, what about, what about just laziness? The pleasure of, of laying in bed a little bit longer rather than getting up or of, of, of just watching my favorite show on Netflix or Disney Plus rather than doing the responsibilities that God has given me. You see, listening to God's word can, can often be really hard when, when physically I'm desiring something else. And yet God, God tested Israel. He, he fed them with manna to see if they were going to listen to him, if they were going to follow his word, or if they were going to kind of become nervous and try and do their own thing. Jesus, however, believed God's word and he trusted in God when his desires cried out. Jesus' answer pointed to the reality that God his word and what God has said takes precedent over everything that I might be thinking or feeling at the moment, even the most basic urge to eat. Jesus listened to God's word when his physical desires cried out. I want us to see, secondly, that Jesus listened to God's word when, it, when his pride would have wanted its own way. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 4. Keep a finger in Deuteronomy. Uh, we're going to be in Deuteronomy 6 in just a minute. But in Matthew chapter 4, we're going to read in verses 5 through 7, uh, the second temptation. It says, Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down. For it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against a stone. Jesus said unto him, it is written, thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Okay, so we're going to ask the question once again, how exactly was it that Israel tempted God? Because Jesus is quoting a passage from the Old Testament. He's learning a lesson that ancient Israel failed to learn. And he, as the true son of God, is demonstrating for us how we as sons and daughters of God ought to live and how we too can pass the test. So let's turn back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And let's read this phrase. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and we're going to look at verse number uh, 16. Deuteronomy 6, 16 says, Ye shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him at Massa. Okay, oh good, Massa, right, Massa. I remember Massa. Massa was, what was Massa again? Let's go back. Uh, Turn to Exodus chapter 17. Now, in Exodus chapter 17, Israel has, not, has come to water and found it to be bitter. And so they cry out to God, and God makes the bitter water sweet. And then they complain because they don't have any food, and so God gives them manna, gives them instructions about manna. They don't listen to God's instructions about manna, which is very upsetting, obviously, to Moses and ultimately to the Lord. Now we come to Exodus chapter 17. Israel has seen God provide for them twice says in chapter 17, verse 1, And all the congregation of the children of Israel journeyed from the wilderness of sin after their journeys according to the commandment of the Lord and pitched in Rephidim, and there was no water for the people to drink. Wherefore the people did chide with Moses. They argued with him and said, Give us water that we may drink. And Moses said unto them, Why chide ye with me? Wherefore do ye tempt the Lord? And the people thirsted there for water, and the people murmured against Moses and said, Wherefore is this that thou hast brought us up out of Egypt to kill us and our children and our cattle with thirst? And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, What shall I do unto this people? They be almost ready to stone me. 
And the Lord said unto Moses, Go before the people and take with thee of the elders of Israel and thy rod wherewith thou smotest the river. Take in thine hand and go. Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock, and there shall come water out of it that my people may drink. And Moses did so in the sight of the elders. And they called the name of that place Massa and Meribah because of the chiding of the children of Israel and because they tempted the Lord, saying, Is the Lord among us or not? Now, on first glance, you may wonder, okay, what do these two stories have to do with each other, right? What does Israel not having water and crying out to God have to do with Jesus throwing himself off the temple to see if an angel is going to catch him? How does Jesus make that connection? And I think, really, it comes back to this question. Um, how should the creature interact with the creator? Now, Jesus is not a creature. He is the creator. But Jesus models for us the type of attitude that we ought to interact with the one who created us. Jesus shows us the attitude, the disposition that we should have when we have questions for God or when we step into the presence of God. You see, Israel should have responded to God with humility, with a recognition that he was God and they were not. And instead, they they kind of barge into the throne room of heaven and rather than asking, rather than crying out to God and, and saying, Lord, please help us, we're perishing, they came in and they say, okay, is the Lord among us or not? You see, it's not, the problem is not that they asked for water. God wanted them to ask for water. The problem was the attitude, the disposition they had, which essentially said, God, what are you doing? You need to explain yourself to us. We're putting you to the test, God, to see if you're going to meet our needs rather than recognizing that, no, we're the ones who are being tested right now. God is God. He is in heaven. I am not. And when I come before him, there needs to be a certain humility and there needs to be a certain submission about the way I interact with him. And what Jesus is doing when Satan comes to him is, is Jesus is recognizing that, that Satan is trying to get Jesus to have that same kind of attitude, the attitude that says that God answers to me, I don't answer to God. Again, Satan is, is playing with, with what would have been the pride of Jesus. Jesus obviously just doesn't have pride. He shows humility here, but he says, look, you've just been declared to be the son of God. Are you really, though? Hey, why don't you prove it? If you're the son of God and you throw yourself off this temple, I mean, God said he's going to protect you and God's certainly going to protect his son, isn't he? Why don't you prove that you're really the son? And what Jesus realizes is that that attitude is a totally wrong and twisted attitude and that by by jumping off of the pinnacle of the temple, what he would be essentially doing is he would be looking at the Lord and saying, all right, you're supposed to protect me. Why don't you answer to me now? Instead of realizing that he answered to Israel. Or or I'm sorry, that, that he answered to God and that Israel answered to God. When I became a teenager, my parents gave me the right to appeal decisions and to respectfully ask questions. Didn't always mean they were going to change their mind, but they said, you know what, as you get older, um, you know, when you're a kid, it's, why can't I do this? Because I said so. Said, as, as, we get, as you get older, we want you to be thinking through things, and we want you to realize that you can come to us and you can ask questions, but we want you to do it in a respectful way, and we want you to realize that in the end, we, we get to make the final choice. So there was one time, it might have been my sophomore or junior year, that they had a, a rule that... Um, I found kind of annoying, but I, I was abiding by it, didn't make a big deal about it, and then 
Um, a friend invited me to his birthday party, and it was not going to work to go to the birthday party and to follow the rules. So I came to my parents and I said, look, I am appealing this rule, and I did it respectfully, and I said, can you explain to me why we have this rule? And they did. They gave me four or five reasons, and um, I thought to myself, well, those aren't very good reasons. And so, again, they said I could respectfully appeal, and so I kind of worked through, and I said, okay, mom and dad, you, you say this, but but this, this doesn't make sense for this reason, this doesn't make sense for this reason, this doesn't make sense for this reason. And I was, I was doing what they'd said I could do. I was asking them questions. We were going back and forth on it. And when we got to the end, they kind of admitted, like, well, Ben, you, you brought up some really good points that we haven't thought about. Um, but at the end of the day, we just don't feel comfortable with this. And so the rule stands. And uh, I was a teenager, but by God's grace, I responded well to that. And I said, okay. And I told my friend, and... <laughs> My friend actually changed his birthday party for me, so I was a pretty good friend. Um, I, I tell that story as an illustration, um, a positive illustration. That's the kind of attitude that God wants us to have with him. When you read the book of Psalms, you read people that are asking questions, lots of questions. And you read people that are confused and that are hurting, and you read people who have needs. And this is not to say that God does not want to hear from us. God does want to hear from us. This is not to say that we can never ask questions. God lets us ask questions. And you know what? God is, is, is patient with us when we do put him to the test. All right? Well, there are examples in the Old Testament. I think of Elijah, who essentially puts God to the test. And God is incredibly patient with Elijah. But Jesus realizes here that the attitude that Satan wants him to have is the wrong attitude. It's not an attitude that he ought to have. That the attitude he ought to have is one that accepts what God has, that waits on the Lord, rather one that rushes ahead and one that makes demands of God. Jesus listened to God when his pride would have wanted his own, its own way. And then I want us to see finally from Matthew chapter 4 that Jesus listened to God's word when doing things God's way was hard. Matthew chapter 4 verse 8 says, And the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain and showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And saith unto him, all these things will I give thee, if, if thou wilt fall down and worship me. Now time out. Luke chapter 22 verse 29 says this, Jesus says, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father hath appointed unto me. The father had a plan for Jesus to inherit the kingdoms of the world. What was that plan? (laughs) That plan was Calvary. It was a cross. It was death. It was suffering. Jesus is beginning his ministry. Jesus is not stupid. He knows what his ministry is going to look like. It means he's going to come to his own and his own are going to reject him. Jesus is about to be rejected by his own people and he knows that. And so Satan says, here, I'll tell you what, I've got a shortcut for you. Worship me and I'll give it to you now. And it'll be easy, right? There won't be death. There won't be suffering. There won't be rejection. If you just worship me, I'll give you what you want. Jesus says, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written, thou shalt worship the Lord thy God and him only shalt thou serve. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6. And read verses 13 through 15. <clears throat> Moses is speaking to Israel and he says, Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him, and shalt swear by his name. 
Ye shall not go after other gods, of the gods of the people which are round about you. For the Lord thy God is a jealous God among you, lest the anger of the Lord thy God be kindled against thee and destroy thee from off the face of the earth. Did Israel ever worship false gods in the wilderness? Actually, they did. Probably the most famous example of this would be Numbers 25, where they worship a god of the Midianites, called, or of the Moabites, called Baal Peor. This is the first of many times that Israel will serve the Baals. You say, what is it with Baal? Why is it always Baal? Well, Baal was the fertility god. Fertility meant two things. Number one, it means your crops grow. Let me tell you something. When you're an agrarian culture, when, you, when, when your whole economy is based off of crops because you're just trying to stay alive and you're trying to keep food in people's mouths and it's all about we've just got to farm these crops, fertility, rain, that is a really, really big deal. And the way the logic of this went uh, for ancient peoples was that since he was the god of plant fertility, we might say he's also the god of human fertility, which would mean children. It would mean passing on the next generation. It was a hugely important part of the culture of that time that you would have kids because kids help take care of you, kids help run the farm. And again, this is survival mindset. If you don't have children, you're going to die off. So how do you worship the God of fertility? Well, it often involved wicked acts of immorality. So now you've got a God who gives you what you want, pleasure, uh, immoral pleasure. He gives you offspring, he gives you good crops. This is what Baal promises. This is what the people around them said. Oh, oh, Israel, welcome, welcome. Well, not really welcome. You push most of us out. But now that you're here, um, we worship Baal and Baal gives us all of these things. You see, Baal promised to give Israel everything they wanted. Jesus, or Satan promised to give Jesus the kingdoms of the world. And this is the way it has always worked. Satan will offer you the thing you want the most if you are simply willing to to follow him and to serve him. The only problem is that Satan is a liar. And Israel did worship the Baals and it ruined them. Jesus didn't listen to Satan and instead chose to follow God and listen God, to God and obey God and it saved him. We started off with the principle. The principle was this, follow the example of Jesus by listening to God's words to pass the tests of life. And so we've seen the Son of God, Israel, and the ways in which they have failed. We've seen the Son of God, Jesus, and the way in which he succeeded. But as we conclude this message, we want to turn the attention to ourselves and ask ourselves the question, as God's present sons and daughters, are we ready to follow the example of Jesus and listen to God's words? Will you listen to God's words over your physical desires? We live in a culture, folks, that pursues pleasure as a God. Rest, recreation, immorality, gluttony. I mean, this is what people live for. They live for that good feeling. They live for that fun time. We often think of the big, deadly sins, but you know what? We also have to watch out for what we would call smaller sins, sins like laziness, sins like an overabundance of recreation. Do you find yourself watching entertainment that you know you shouldn't watch, but man, I mean, the quality of the programming is just so good. It's so interesting, and the story's so engaging, and the acting and the writing, it's, it's phenomenal, and all of my friends are watching it, and yeah, there's really, really awful content as far as objectionable material, but, but I like it. 
Do you ever find yourself missing out on church or personal time in God's Word because you're just so tired and, and you're sleeping in or you're going to bed late and then finding yourself not having time in the morning to get up and be in God's Word or to be in God's Word in the evening? Do you ever find yourself allowing your physical desires to overwhelm you to the point where you, you don't listen to what God has to say? There's th- are there things in your life right now where you say, I know this is what God wants from me, I know this is what God expects of me, but it's just really hard. I would say follow the example of Jesus. Look unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, and, and follow the example that he sets by listening to God's word over even your physical desires. Will you listen to God's word while you humbly wait as a creature before your creator? You know what? Sometimes waiting is hard. <laughs> Sometimes we might like to test God. Say, all right, Lord, when are you going to come through for me? Do you find yourself struggling as you wait to find a new job or to figure out what college you're going to get into? Do you ever get tired of waiting on God to work in someone's heart that you've been praying for or to, for him to show you what your next step should look like or for that old wound to finally heal? Do you find yourself in a place where you say, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm waiting, I'm tired of waiting? Or do you remember that God's okay with questions so long as they're respectful, that God's totally fine and and, and invites us to come with our request, but that in all of this, he wants us to remember that he's the creator and we're the creature. Do we, like Jesus, have the attitude that says, okay, I'm going to come into the Lord's presence, but I'm going to come respectfully because it's not my place to test him. And finally, will you do things God's way even if it's really hard? And folks, living a life as a faithful disciple of Jesus Christ is really hard. He told us it was going to be. He said, if anyone would follow me, let him take up his cross, follow me. Galatians 2.20 says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. Uh, Crosses are not fun. And we forget that sometimes because we have cross necklaces and cross earrings and people get cross tattoos and we love, you know, people have their Facebook profile pictures of cross. We think crosses are great because it's a symbol of God's love and it is. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, it was not a symbol of God's love at that point. It was a symbol of death and suffering and torture. And it probably shocked everyone in the crowd when he said that. It's probably unsettling. And yet, that's what he calls us to. He calls us to a life where we sacrifice what we want, where we're ready to suffer because we believe God's word that if we will suffer for him, we will also share in his glory. You are going to face tests and temptations trials, whatever you want to call them, you're going to face them this this year. You're going to face them this week. Probably many of you will face them this afternoon. So how do you beat them? Well, you beat them the way Israel should have. You beat them the way Jesus did, and you beat them the way that we can. You beat them by listening carefully to God's word and then doing what it says. And that sounds simple enough, and in some ways it is. In other ways, it feels like death. Death on a cross, to be specific. As we enter 2022, will you commit, first of all, to reading God's word so that you know what he says? But beyond just reading God's word, to listen to them. I remember I had a classmate once who uh, the teacher was giving instructions and um, uh, my one classmate kind of asked her to repeat it or wasn't, wasn't doing what she said and said, oh, could you say that again? And she said, well, I already said. She said, didn't you hear me? <laughs> and his response was, Well, yeah, I heard you. I just wasn't listening. Um, 
Sometimes we, we hear God's word, we just aren't listening. Are you ready to, as James says, be not just a hearer, but a doer of God's word? Or as Moses would put it, that you may hear, that you may observe to do it. Or like Jesus says, when Satan comes, get thee hence, Satan, for it is written. Follow the example of Jesus by listening to the word of God so that you can pass the tests of life. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org. You can also check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.